The following podcast may contain spoilers, profanity, and views or opinions that may not be representative of the author's intent of the articles discussed. We don't always take ourselves or the subject matter seriously either. Listener discretion is advised. Paraphrasing TVTropes.org Definition Space Opera Any work of epic fiction involving spacefaring civilizations where advanced technologies way beyond present-day earthly technologies are commonplace. But these gizmos are just props and are secondary to the story. Political conflicts, intrigue, wars, and rumor wars abound. Action spans, solar system, galaxies, or even the whole universe. While taking place in a standard science fiction setting, there are romantic elements that distinguish space opera from hard sci-fi. Expect big love stories, epic space battles, oversized heroes and villains, awe-inspiring scenery, and insanely gorgeous people, aliens, and yes, even robots! Welcome to the podcast that digs deep into your favorite movies and TV shows that take place in space. Whether it's interesting behind the scenes, cultural impact, or how they fit into the space opera genre, we'll talk about it. I'm Peter Fisher. And I'm Everett Morris. And you are at the Space Opera. This is At the Space Opera, a Galactic Network podcast. For more on this GN podcast, go to GNCast.com. In today's performance, the part of Arthur Dent will be played by Martin Freeman. Moss Def will play Ford Prefect, Sam Rockwell will be the president of the universe, Zepha Bebelbrox, and Zoe Deschanel will be Trisha Trillian McMillan. Today we'll be talking about Douglas Adams' most well-known work, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, specifically the 2005 Garth Jennings movie adaptation. So Everett, tell us about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a story about an Englishman, Arthur Dent who loses his house to make way for a bypass, then loses his home planet minutes later for pretty much the same thing. Joined by his friend who, instead of being from Guilford, is actually from a planet near Beetlejuice. A woman who we met at the party, the guy who stole her away who happens to be the president of the universe, an improbably fast spaceship, and a super depressed robot. Arthur navigates the galaxy's maze to find out the question to Rodentia's and, frankly, the universe's biggest answers using the universe's best-selling book, The Art of the Deal, not likely the Bible in significant numbers. Biggles combs his hair? No, the biggest bestseller, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And here's why The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is considered a space opera. It covers it all. Various species? Jack. You have a love interest? Jack. Now, Zoe Deschanel is pretty, but I don't really think Morgan Freeman is like your dashing hero. No. Yeah. But <laughs> but then there's Zaphod, and like at least half his heads are, are pretty good looking. And yes. Then we, yeah, we have the civilizations and the landscapes. Jack. Both the planet of Vidovodal 4 and Magarthia have their own specific feel. Indeed. And Vitavodal seems like the dirty end of the universe. Also, almost like the back alleys of Metropolitan and City. Now, Magrathea is a little bit more Earth-like, which is kind of ironic because they're the one that actually made our planet. Uh, it's got very di various different areas, like anything from polar to the deepest, darkest uh, 
Amazon like feeling and by Amazon I mean the the rainforest and not the book selling people. <laughs> anyway. Uh there there's various reasons regions in it and they actually I, I'm not, I'm not sure about what do you think that the show not the showroom, the build floor where where uh the where Arthur and the guy whose name I can't remember right now uh <laughs> Blar blurdy bart first or something like that they go through do you think that's actually in the planet or it's like an extra dimensional place because well, like basically they're building more planets because that's their job but anyway yeah, it's actually inside uh Magrathea. yeah yeah all that is being inside another planet so imagine a planet building planets how massive is that now let's look at the ship. It has tech far beyond what we have today. Well, we got the uh, the knife that turns bread into toast as it cuts. Which I wish I had. Yep. And uh, oh, and the machine. It's so it's sort of like a combination of the replicator from Star Trek and. The A word. I'm not going to say that because some of you <laughs> might have that, and it might go ordering, ordering, Got self, <laughs> self toasting, self toasting knives. Uh, because you you think of what you want, and it gets you. It makes it for you. Yep. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Now we we got flip phones due to Star Trek, so it's anything is possible. And in the end, the definition in, is covered quite well. Indeed. If you have a question or comment about anything that you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, email contact at gncast.com. Leave a voicemail message by calling 805-328-3966 or go to gncast.com slash contact. We read, listen to, and appreciate all of your feedback. Okay, and now let's go behind the curtain. Everett, what kind of interesting facts, trivia, and stories about the making of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Okay. Um, the one thing that I found really, really awesome, Deep Thought, okay, this monstrous computer that was designed to explain it all, or so they hope, explains the number 42, 42 minutes into the film. The producers have stated that the film is not a literal translation of the books, just as the books were not a literal translation of the original sh radio show, but all the new ideas and characters came from Douglas Adams himself. The hired writer simply came aboard to improve structure and make the screenplay more coherent. Yes, absolutely. Um, this one is really cool. The old lady sitting at the street table, uh, totally oblivious to everything, uh, or she even seems rather uninterested, for that matter, uh, in regards to what's going on around her, is actually Douglas Adams' mother. If any acting directions to her, anybody else in that scene, for what they were supposed to do. To simulate chaos. So she just sat there reading a newspaper. The names of all five books in the Hitchhiker's series was mentioned in the movie, except for Mostly Harmless, which was in a deleted scene which took place in the Vogon ship's bathroom. Ah, yes. Oh, let's see, what else? Uh, the film was in <laughs> development hell for 15 years. 
At one point, Douglas Adams insisted it would be made sometime before the last Trump. Just before, uh, just prior to his death, a deal was almost in place with Jay Roach directing and starring Hugh Laurie. I'm sorry, that would have been sweet. Uh, Jim Carrey as Zaphod Beeblebrox and the late Nigel Hawthorne as Slarty Bartfast. According to Douglas Adams' notes, he wanted the name of the character Slarty Bartfast to sound extremely rude, but still pass BBC's rules for what can be broadcast. <laughs> he actually started with Farty Fuck Boris and changed it <laughs> bit by bit until it was acceptable. Yep. Yeah, if you say that wrong, dude, you, oh my gosh. Um, according to the DVD commentary, the animators who created the animated guide uh, entries would occasionally sneak in hidden jokes into their animations that were deemed too inappropriate for a family film and had to be removed. One of these jokes, which wasn't removed, is an animation explaining the babblefish and how a farmer becomes repulsed when he learns that a cow is somewhat aroused by being milked. Here's an Easter egg. The DVD includes an improbability drive item on every menu. Clicking this leads to a random point in one of the bonus features. Used several times, it leads to a strange cartoon, which is the same one Deep Thought is watching when Ford, Zaphod, and Trillian first arrive. Ah, yes. Uh, they're out to get the, uh, the point of view cannon. Shada, the prison planetoid of the Time Lords, can be seen in the background during the factory floor scene on Magrathea. Doctor Who, Shada, in 1992, was a Doctor Who 1963 story that Douglas Adams wrote, but was never uh, it was never completed for television due to strike at the BBC. Characters and settings from Shada appeared in Douglas Adams' novel Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which recycled ideas from his serial Doctor Who, City of Death, Part 1, in 1979. John Malkovich's character, the religious leader Huma Kavula, was created especially for the movie by Douglas Adams. He does not appear in any previous version of the story. However, the Jatravardids, of whom he is the spiritual leader, are mentioned in the books. The relevance... Oh... I, I love saying this. The, the, this is great. The relevance of Sector ZZ Plural 9 is the fact that in the UK, if a person has NFA, no fixed abode, or no place to live, then the postcode is recorded as ZZ Plural 9 3 Victor Z. Thus, both Trillian and Arthur come from Sector ZZ Plural 9, and thanks to the Vogons, they're both NFA. And again, remember that that isn't rude. That means they don't have a place to stay. Anyway. <laughs> Some additional shots were filmed to fit in with Arthur waking up at the beginning of the movie. In one shot, included in an early trailer, but cut from the film and not on the DVD, Arthur's identification as a BBC employee can be seen. The original Hitchhiker's radio and TV versions were produced by the BBC. In one shot, the Apple Mac logo is visible on the side of a giant computer. Now, that right there was Deep Thought really built by Apple. Think anyway. different. Anyway, <laughs> what a bastard. 
Douglas Adams owned the first two Apple Macintosh computers delivered to the United Kingdom, while Stephen Fry, the voice of the book, owned the third. Both men were and are keen advocates of the Mac. The movie was first optioned in 1982 by producers Ivan Reitman, Joe Majucht, and Michael C. Gross, and Douglas Adams wrote three drafts for them as per his contract. During this time, Majucht and Gross were considering Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd to play Ford Prefect. But then Aykroyd sent him his idea for Ghostbusters, mm. and they did that movie instead. Kind of funny timing. Um, this is the ninth version of Hitchhiker's Guide. It is the, It has previously appeared as radio series. Two record albums. Those are big circles for the kids that don't know uh novels a television series the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy in 81 a computer game a stage show a comic book a video game made in 84 and a towel the game version is not in fact a video game but was an infocom interactive fiction text only the only kind of game ever that i would thought was cool at the time uh, you know, and it wouldn't go anywhere without the correct input or uh, commands. Um, and Douglas Adams himself had plotted and scripted the uh, game programmed by Steve Moretzky, which has been available to play free on the BBC Radio 4 website since 2005. I must play that. The car that Ford Prefect introduces himself to is actually a Ford Prefect, from whence Ford got his Earth name. Despite being a Ford, the car was never manufactured or sold in the United States, but produced in Ireland, the UK, Malaysia, and New Zealand, and sold in Europe, Asia, and Australia between 1938 and 1959. Wow. Uh, to get, what you, uh, get, get your hands on one of them would be stinking awesome. Um, All right. Now, uh, the Vogon written language. Uh it being seen on their release forms as well as in the bilingual caption in the Magrathian video which says information deleted is actually a form of English. Pittman shorthand once taught to hundreds of thousands of office workers mainly in the British Commonwealth is a series of straight and curved strokes meant to write down sounds much faster than regular writing. As discussed in a book about the movie, the Vogons used a slightly blocky but recognizable form of Pittman 2000, the most recent version of Pittman shorthand published in 1970. It occurs in the Vogon release forms, posters on the wall which say fire exit escape map over a hopelessly confusing maze of arrows with a spot at the center saying you are here and are you depressed and destruction therapy. Bill Murray, Robert Downey Jr., and Johnny Depp, all huge Douglas Adams fans, were also considered for the part of Zaphod Beeblebrox, along with Will Ferrell. But after Sam Rockwell's audition, director Garth Jennings immediately chose him. And Marvin, my, I think my favorite character, uh, the model of Marvin the Paranoid Android from the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in 1981, is seen waiting in line with Arthur Ford and Zaphod 
as they are trying to find the correct form to rescue Trillian. The Heart of Gold bridge set had so many lights on it that the bulbs could only run for eight minutes at a time to prevent the set from catching on fire. <laughs> Super nice. Uh, Sam Rockwell has said in interviews that his portrayal of Zaphod was influenced by three people. Bill Clinton, Elvis Presley, and Vince Vaughn. Many viewers find resemblance to George W. Bush as well. The Babblefish translator that Ford puts in Arthur's ear inspired the Babblefish. Webpage. First on Alta Vista, remember that? Then oh, Yahoo, man. remember that? <laughs> Which provides translations to and from different languages. The name Babblefish in turn is named for the Tower of Babel in the Bible's Genesis. The, I, I prefer the Phil Collins age part of the Bible's Genesis. Oh, now, now see, they're doing well. I'm not going to deviate too much, but which was better, Peter Gabriel or, uh, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, man, where was I? Okay, so Jack Davenport, uh, he was considered for the role of Arthur Dent, but in the end, it was decided he was simply too good looking for the role. What a burden. Um, he was too good looking for the role of the ultimate everyman. Yeah, Douglas Adams had originally wanted Hugh Grant to also play Arthur, but that idea was nixed. Around 1990, the then unknown Tim Roth was seriously considered to play Arthur Dent. Wow, that would have been something. Yeah. Um, Douglas Adams once stated that the only character that was absolutely had to be English was Arthur Dent. The fact that Ford played played by an African-American actor, uh, Yaslin Bay, is not significant deviation from the source material. Very few details are given about Ford's physical appearance in the book. Additionally, both Zaphod and Trillian, who is described as vaguely Arabic-looking, are also played by American actor Sam Rockwell and Zoe Deschanel. Journey of the Sorcerer is the song that plays when the book is first introduced floating in space. It was originally performed by the Eagles and used as the theme music for the original radio series. And that was something. I remember hearing the tapes after the movie and I was like, oh my gosh, they stuck with the original theme. It made me so happy. Um, Slarty Bartfast's tie. I, I wondered about this. It has a red Pac-Man embroidered on it. What a tie. Um, Sue Elliott. Uh, when Ford and Arthur drink at the pub early on, and middle-aged blonde can be seen watching them. Okay, this gives me goosebumps because of this connection. According to the DVD commentary, this actress played Trillian in the London stage version of the story, a fact that director Garth Jennings was totally unaware of the day of shooting. And similar, similar and in the same way... Uh, <laughs> Simon Jones, the original Arthur, handpicked by friend Douglas Adams for the radio show and the TV show, uh, makes a brief appearance as the Magrathian greeting threat hollow message. This marks another slight deviation from the original guide incarnations, as all other, all other versions use Slarty Bardfarst's unlike, unlikeness, no, his likeness, for the hollow, hollow message. Peter, how did the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy affect society, uh, the genre, or industry? In a sense, one could argue that Douglas Adams infused his own beliefs into the story. 
Darwin's theories are ripe throughout it. His views on creation, for example, can be seen in the guide's entry for Ulan Kalufid's writing. If you look at his name, it's an anagram for Cool Dolphin and is a clear callback to the first scene in the movie. Proving the non-existence of a higher power after the higher power accomplished something you said couldn't be done is classic Adam's thought. In a sense, he's heckling Christianity. He also lampoons the government of the UK. One could say that the Vogons symbolize the British hierarchy, aristocracy, and bureaucracy and showed the unwillingness to do anything without proper documented approval by someone higher up in the organization in triplicate. If you would like to chat with the hosts or other listeners of this Galactic Network podcast 24 hours a day, go to gncast.com slash sign up. We'll add you to our Slack team so you'll have the ability to interact with us in real time. Again, go to gncast.com slash sign up. So Everett, tell me what you think about the movie. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, it's one of my personal favorites just due to the... You know the the sci-fi of it all. Uh, you know the the ship itself. I mean, it, it's running on a gadget that basically rolls a dice, and you never know and you, you don't know where you're going to end up or what you're going to be. I mean, at one time they turn into balls of yarn, and Arthur is yarping up yarn into a waste can, um, you know, or a trash bin, depending on what region you live. Well, um, some people might say they were crocheted dolls, but <laughs> well, still, okay. you that is true. Got, I got your point. That is true. I mean, I mean, to have a set of those would be just stellar. Um, you know, so you go in and, you know, as they are simply trying to find, um, you know, one thing after another, they're, they're trying to get to Magrathia while they run into Hamakavula. So now they've got to get the point of view gun. Um, then they finally get to Magrathia and, and, you know, uh, then of course you got the Vogons poetry, which, uh, I, yeah, well, honestly, it, it is perplexing when you really look at the, the poem that they read at the beginning and you think to yourself, what exactly are they trying this? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's so random. And let me just interject here. Listening to the the commentary on the DVD, uh, Maz Def, who plays uh, Ford Prefect, actually during that scene actually fell asleep. <laughs> Apparently, he's famous for being able to fall asleep at a drop of a hat because they were like they they were on these big obelisks, like slabs of rock, and had looks like duct tape or elastics around them so yeah. they were like right against it so apparently it was very uh very uh comfortable and he <laughs> they had to wake him up a couple times because of it wow um man that's comfortable huh yeah. uh, <laughs> okay um no it, it it's the beauty of the story um it was the very first book that i had read by douglas adams um, you know, it, the way it was put together and each piece was just so elegant in its depiction of all these different locations. And they did that so well in the movie. I mean, it was probably one of the best adaptations I had ever seen of that book. 
Um, I was familiar with the radio shows. I was familiar with the old series in the 80s. Um, yeah, now, yeah, I'm glad they did Zaphod as well as they did. Um, honestly, looking at uh, Zaphod's double head in the original TV series, you think to yourself, it's just something horribly cobbled together. And I mean, I, I, I would like to hope that they made a like a cast mold of uh, the actor's face in order to duplicate it, but they did a horrible job with the eyes. Um, if you if you watch the eyes, it literally looks like a uh, like a, a dummy or a you know a ventriloquism type thing where they literally just turn a stick in the eyes, look left or right, and that's it. Um, I, I, it was I'm, old I'm school. Let... It was low budget. I had to one just as you're talking about that now whether. The uh, song "I'm with Stupid" from from Scatterbrain. The idea for that song might have come from Zaphod's Beatable Brox because it was about the guy that's been. Well, it doesn't matter what he was rude to people, he was mean to people, and so instant karma. They grew a stupid head on his on his shoulder, and I wonder whether they got that idea from Zaphod with his thing. Now, now again, in this version, I, it's it's sort of, I was waiting for the other head to be on his shoulder, but the, how they got around it this time is it, he was sort of like a half Pez dispenser. Yes. His, his head would <laughs> lean back, and where his Adam's apple would be was his other head. Yes, so, and how, how they did that, I mean, and, and now, you know, movie magic and all that. Um, I would love to see the technology or how they actually did those transitional shots because it was just so so well done. Um, now you know, and then then you go further into the movie, the factory floor, and you really feel you're on this lift with uh, you know Slarty Bartfast and Arthur, and you're flying through this total. I mean, larger than life feeling. Of yeah, this I like to do the and... fjords, and then you had the guy with the big hose putting in the oceans. Yes, and it was—I mean, honestly, if you think to yourself, well, if the Earth was built, you know, commissioned by mice and built in a factory, you know, this is how they would do it. There is no logical explanation. It's the only obvious way you could see it done. And I was impressed. I was blown away by the, you know. It, it wasn't your typical CGI that it is now. It was live scenes. It was out there. Uh, well, most of it anyway, you know, except for the, you know, where you see a planet over here and a planet over there. Um, but other than that, I mean, at the end of that, I was just like, greatest movie ever, you know? And I have a top 10 list and I would, I would venture to say it's easily number four. Um, yeah, it's just that well done. A, a thing about the Vogons, uh, as as you see, if you're on their planet and you have ever have an idea of something new, there's, it, it's basic basically like sideshow Mel from the Simpsons with with <laughs> the rakes. There's this big thing comes up and hits you right in the face. Yep. And uh, going along with Darwin and Darwinism. Uh, if you ever look at the Vogons, their nose is always up and pushed back. 
because of years and generations and generations of Vogons having ideas and that thing coming up and hitting them in the nose, their noses are all misshapen. Ah, you know, it, yeah, it does kind of show some sense of, um, uh, oh, what do you call that? What's the word I'm looking for? Adaptation. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, or an evolution, you know, to constantly getting hit in the face, yes. Another, th another behind the scenes things. Uh, the scene at the beginning when, when uh, Ma's death brings the shopping cart full of beer to the, to the construction workers to, to get yeah. them. Uh, apparently he partook a little bit too much, and and they I think it was just a half day of filming for him because he was a little bit. He he, uh, he got into <laughs> his his porter a little bit. Oh man, yeah, yeah, that, that, and yeah. and also he fell asleep there too, but anyway, wow. not That's saying that he's funny. an alcoholic or not. It's just that it's <laughs> there. Wow, that is cool. Um, although I, you know, going back to Trillian's name, I do remember the the part that I thought was kind of almost corny was the fact that he's like, well, should I just change my name to Arthulia? I'm like, yeah, that's a unique switch. Uh, although it's Arthur Dent, so it would be Arent. Arent. He's Arent. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you going to tell me your name? I did. Yeah. Yep. And then at the end, well, the the reason why, well, one of the reasons why Trillian left Arthur at the beginning of the movie was that he didn't want to go with her to Madagascar. So in yeah. the end, there was a little bit of payoff where he Arthur decides, okay, they've remade the Earth. I don't need to be there anymore. So he and Trillian went off into the distance. Although the one thing uh, different from the TV things from the 80s is in that... Oh, they, they did more of the books. Because I, I guess this is mostly just the Hitchhiker's... Uh, storyline because in 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 the tv and the radio play they they go to milky ways the restaurant at the end of the universe which is actually where they're headed at the end of the movie but uh they sort of use arthur seems to have the answer to the no has the question to the answer of life, the universe, and everything, and they figure it out by basically playing Scrabble. They've got the bag with the Scrabble pieces, and he just pulls out the uh, pulls out the things, and it it in a Ouija board fashion goes, "What do you get when you add or multiply this number and this number?" Which turns out not to be right, but it is right if you do in, in instead of our numbering system base 10 and I think base 8 or base 7 or something like that hmm. anyway wow so that's, a, that's a little difference between the, the uh, TV and the movie version. ah right on okay and you have anything else you need you think to say about it uh, let's see. Um, 
Oh, well, what I about, think of... what about uh, the the uh, religious leader and his the way he looks? That's yeah. just kind of freaky. Yeah, Hamakavula, and all of a sudden you think you know everything is fine, and then he stands up with like forty some odd or so uh, robot legs, and you know, and they can move and you know stretch and shorten, and and you're thinking and. You know, you you as the viewer uh, almost gain Arthur's look, um, uh, <laughs> kind of like, well, I don't know what to do now because who is this Joker? And then he takes off his glasses, and his you know his eyeballs are the glasses. Um, that tripped me out too. You know, I, I had no idea what to think at that point because I knew it was a new character. Um, but then you think to yourself, you know, wow. Um, but then the also, it brings up the question, you've got this, you know, uh, basically he's a preacher and he's got this huge congregation. Why didn't he get the position of president of the galaxy? Um, you know, it, it was, it, you, you think to yourself, what is the reality of this? Uh, you know, if we realize that we are one of all these different species and we do elect a galactic president what's saying a two-headed moron is going to get the role over someone influential well i i, I got visions of uh one of the black adder series where baldrick was in line to be a village idiot uh, but he lost out because the guy that finally actually got the thing forgot to show up <laughs> So, well, oh, he's overqualified. Hire him. He's not here. Right. Yeah, event. Yeah. Uh, oh, and and another thing about the legs, if you mm. watch it again, notice that one of the legs is is sort of damaged, sort of sort of limps. Ah, drags behind the rest of them. Ah, so, I remember that. Yes. Yeah, it it gets gives you sort of a of an Inspector Gadget type feeling, because. Mm. You know, go 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 go! Uh, religious leaders' legs. <laughs> yep, right through your jello. Yeah, um, which, which I found interesting. You know, you've got this man eating jello mold. I thought that was cute. And um, and, and what about the uh, point of view gun? Oh man! Now I have a friend. Um, he that that's his wife's favorite part. Um, that actually. Um, made that movie wonderful for her thinking that we should have this thing invented already and why not <laughs> um, it, and yeah. as Trillian said it won't work on me I'm already a woman so yep. basic, basically what it does is you shoot at someone and they see your your side of the argument exactly Yeah. yeah and you know you think to yourself you know I mean you know, you, you would expect someone who wants a gun, this gun to be massively damaging and, you know, just, you know, create all kinds of havoc. No, it makes them think like you, which another method of mind control, which, you know, um, you can go a hundred different directions there. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I I honestly have to wonder if that thing, and it's not scientifically possible, I'm sure, but the fact that it was a thing 
And so many people have said to me, that needs to be. <laughs> yep. Would would put a lot of, get rid, rid of a lot of conflict. And then we, we got to talk about the, oh, the, I forget his name now. Uh, the, the droid, the, the robot. Oh, uh, Marvin. Marvin, yes. Who was played by two people, by the physically by by Warwick Davies also known as Wicket the Ewok or or Willow from from the movie Willow not from Buffy the Vampire Slayer that's a that we're not talking about Allison Hannigan and uh, was also Professor Flitwick in the Harry Potter movies he uh, <laughs> the the costume they put him in was about 80% of the weight of himself. So he's basically doubled his weight mm. and the size of the head was so much he needed special support to keep the uh, keep the head up. Uh, and and then, I don't know how he did it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I watched some of the uh, some of the documentaries and it looked like he was wheeled in on like a, in a cart or like a like a uh, golf cart to get to some of the shots because it was like if if you're in a costume that's twice as heavy as that's as heavy as you are you're gonna have problems with it and also the voice for Marvin was uh, given by once again going to Harry Potter or or if you want even further back to Die Hard yes. is Mr. Hans Gruber himself Alan uh, Reichman yeah so Alan Reichman played played the voice of Marvin the robot and uh, as we said before uh, you can see the original TV version of Marvin in the when they were trying to get Trish taken out of uh, had the her charges dropped so it, yeah it was this rather cube shaped poor thing yeah and where they got the costume and how they preserved well I'm sure BBC saves everything um, but how they, you know, was in such, you know, it's just pristine condition after so many years of being stowed away, I'm sure. So, Peter, let's talk about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was inspired by others it inspired and what some similar movies and TV shows are. Other than the obvious nods to the TV program and video game of the same name, we have nods towards The Wizard of Oz with the giant holographic head of Magrathea. Uh, when we reach Vitavotal 6, we see a bicycle with square wheels. This is a nod to the 1964 movie Carry On Cleo, where a character designed the square-wheeled bicycle so it wouldn't roll downhill. There's also uh, nods to Star Trek, as Dr. McCoy specifically, whose line, I'm a doctor, not a blank, is echoed by Marvin saying, I'm a robot, not a refrigerator. Also going along with Marvin, we have uh, Marvin being shot by the Vogons and being presumed dead, but at the last minute, his lights of his eyes come back on and he holds the empathy gun and shoots the Vogons, much in the same way Arnold Schwarzenegger does at the end of T2 with a grenade launcher. Also, Doctor Who, The Christmas Invasion, Jackie quotes Arthur Dent, 
referring to Zaphod, when she asks Rose anything else he's got two of in regards to the unconscious doctor. On Torchwood, the uh, Random Shoes, 2006, we see one of the movies visible in a movie store. In the pilot to Big Bang Theory, Kuthar Pali is wearing a hat with 42 on it. Torchwood A Day in Death in 2008. Uh, when Owen is serving coffee to the rest of the team, he mentions that the man the team is searching for is filed under Mostly Harmless, obviously the name of one of the books in the series. On Stargate, Stargate Atlantis, the Daedalus variation, the alternate reality drive is of the Daedalus bears a striking similarity to the infinite improbability drive of the starship Heart of Gold. In the movie Pirate Radio, Bill Nye, who played uh, Slarty Bartfarst in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mentions after giving it some deep thought, of course, deep thought was the name of the supercomputer in, uh, in the book, movie, and uh, TV show. And finally, Dexter, Smokey, the episode Smokey and the Bandit, in 2011, the Tooth Fairy's storage address is 42, which is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, this is not. This is a nod to Moss Death, brother Sam, who played uh, Ford Prefect in the film. All right, and there we go. All right, so here is the part of the show where we go to the mailbag. But seeing as this is our first show, there's nothing in the mailbag. But we want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about the show and ask us any questions you have. We just might read your email during a future show. So just email us at spaceopera at gncast.com. So Everett, tell us what we have coming up in future shows. Oh, man. Well, we have four more review shows in this season, including, and this is going to make a lot of people get all goosebumpy, Titan AE, Netflix's Lost in Space, and I'm going to go off and cry somewhere because I don't have Netflix anymore. Um, I, I kept Hulu because it had the original Lost in Space. They did that to me. Yeah. Um, Joss Wheaton's Serenity and everyone's favorite Mars movie starring that guy that played Gambit in the X-Men Origins, John Carter. <laughs> uh, it wasn't John Carter who played Gambit in the X-Men Origins. It's the movie uh, John Carter of Mars. That Well, that is true, yes. John Carter is a fantastic actor. Um, I love so, his roles. In... <laughs> yeah. And in uh, Friday Night Lights. Oh, man, going way back. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, uh, now, stepping off to John Carter really quick. I read the book, uh, first two books before I saw the movie. Totally blown away. Another very, very well done one. Look forward to that episode. And just to let you know, we've got a rotating group of hosts. So Everett won't be with us next week. We'll have a couple other, other hosts. And uh, Everett will be back at our end of season, episode six roundtable discussion episode so uh thanks everett for being here so where can people get a hold of you everett oh man this is so great i would love it if people could just find me at twitter at e underscore morris 71 um you know uh there uh, i i 
focus mainly on my own show that I do, um, The Great Lakes and Her Story, uh, which is also a podcast. I've got one season in, five, six episodes. Uh, if you love history and if you have a fascination towards uh, shipwrecks, uh, you know, the, the Michigan culture, the, you know, everything that the uh, Great Lakes shipping industry has done for Michigan and its surrounding states, I cover it all. Um, in fact, I, I, in one episode uh, last year for Thanksgiving, we imagined uh, Thanksgiving aboard the Kiwatin, uh, which is over at Port McNichol, uh, which was her original home port. Um, you know, the, trying to imagine what it would be like on this ship in the Great Lakes celebrating Thanksgiving. Um, just a fantastic episode. Uh, but you can find my show, The Great Lakes and Her Story. Uh, you can visit my website at churchstreetstudios.online. Uh, there have uh, links and it goes directly to SoundCloud where you can subscribe to my show. Uh, you can also sub subscribe to it directly through Google Play Music. Now, did you ever do an episode about the Edmund Fitzgerald? Oh, hey, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. Um, that is actually, uh, I wanted to save the best for last for last season. That is my Christmas episode. Um, my gift to all my listeners that, uh, you know, I'm, you got to give a big gift at Christmas time. And so that for me was um, the story of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, it was a ju just an amazing, amazing episode. I felt great about it. Um, but we cover the entire industry as far as, uh, you know, how the ship started, where it served, and sadly, uh, the souls that uh, left us that day. Yeah. And it's one heck of a long song to play. Oh, man. Dude, I, I like Gordon Lightfoot, okay? <laughs> yep. We, uh, I'm, I'm in a, a band, and we've, we've played that before, and after finishing it, the, uh, our guitar player goes, boy, that was long. Because <laughs> usually we're down to like a three-minute songs, and this one goes on for probably about eight. Anyway, so that's where you, you can find you. Where you can find me is on Facebook at Peter D. Fisher or Fishy Digital Photo, and that's P-H-I-S-H-Y and photo with an F, or the retreat band Moncton, or on Twitter at The Horns, which is D-A-H-O-U-R-N-S, or Tina underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us here today at the Space Opera. Goodbye. See you later. You have been listening to At the Space Opera, a Galactic Network podcast. Follow this Galactic Network podcast on Twitter, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us by searching all major social networks or click on one of the icons at GNCast.com. If you have a question or a comment about anything you heard on this Galactic Network podcast, email spaceopera at GNCast.com. Leave a voice message by calling 805-328-3966 or 805-FAVE-ZOO or go to gncast.com slash contact. We read, listen, and appreciate all your feedback.
Please subscribe to this Galactic Network podcast by going to gncast.com slash subscribe or search iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are offered. Thank you.